0: Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Mary Ann Wolfe. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown a bright light on the critical need for school support personnel. This past week was National School Psychologist Week, and on today's show, we take the time to highlight the amazing work of our school counselors, psychologists, social workers, and more, who are doing so much to help keep our school communities healthy and safe. We are so pleased to be joined today by Yvette Richardson, a school social worker in Nash-Rocky Mount Schools, and also Lee Coquinas the 2019 National School Psychologist of the Year and a Wake County Elementary School Psychologist. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you. Good to be here. It is great to be here.
0: Lee, I'd actually love to start with you. I know this past week was National School Psychology Week, and I wonder if you could share a little bit more about the many schools and the important role that school psychologists bring into our schools and the impact that they have.
1: Thank you. I would would love to share that. I like to start out by telling people that school psychologists are um, complex problem solvers. We address students' needs through a whole child approach and through a team approach. We work very closely with our school social workers, our school counselors, and our school nurses. And we address kids' needs through um, data analysis, consultation, a lot of collaboration. Um, we often evaluate kids and we are often um, involved in the intervention side, the intervention and
2: prevention side.
0: Yvette, I wonder if you would tell us a little bit more about the role of social workers in our school and how that's evolved with COVID-19.
2: Yeah, so um, I, I like to think of the role of the social worker, overarching uh, role as, as being a broker. We're, we're linking um, the school The community um, with home. And underneath that, we become advocates, uh, we become facilitators, we become teachers, we become counselors. So there are many, many roles that we play as school social workers. Pre-COVID, pre-racial injustice pandemic, the needs were great. And now the needs are even greater. We're seeing um, needs of hunger, Homeless instability has increased. I think that's uh, pretty much across the state, not not just in any particular county. And especially in our um, schools that were already under-resourced, our low economic communities there is even greater, greater needs that that we're seeing. So greater opportunities as well for for school staff to come together, the the support team to come together, as well as for the community to come together. But we're seeing a tremendous increase um, in the needs. On the academic side, um, social-emotional side, mental health, And we know that if the, um, if the basic needs of our students aren't met, they are not learning. They cannot learn academics and they cannot learn the social emotional skills that they need to be successful. Um, So we look to find the needs, try to meet the needs, try to eliminate the barriers that get in the way of school success for our students.
0: I wonder if both of you would share an example of an innovative or team approach that you've been able to use, especially with COVID-19.
1: Student support services teams are meeting, um, which, is, which is also the specialized instructional support personnel, depends on who, which acronym you're using, are coming together and um, talking about students, getting information from families to see what are the needs Um, and really looking at where do those needs fall along Maslow's hierarchy of needs and triaging their needs. So sometimes we have, sometimes I'm working with my school social worker on getting kids access to community resources. Sometimes I'm working with um, just the school counselor to see what are the social emotional learning lessons that need to be delivered, but triaging um, those needs and looking also um, just at the innovative um, practices that have to go on for specifically for school psychologists to deliver evaluations because we're still attending to the policies around um, special education evaluations. And so there's been a lot of creative problem solving that's occurred.
2: Um, I think the, the, the team approach in everyone looking at the same needs and then pooling resources, identifying resources to help meet those needs. Um, I've seen where um, I wanna say typically it has been uh, the social worker has been looked at the as, as the person who would go out and do home visits. I'm seeing administrators doing home visits. I'm seeing counselors do home visits, dean of students. So there's more of a um, collective sharing of, okay, who's gonna go out and, and find this student or who's gonna go out and try to connect with this parent to get documentation signed. So I see a greater level of um, accountability being taken. Uh, by the entire team to just get things done and get the resources um, to the families that need them.
0: Yeah, so important. And I know another challenge that we keep hearing about is mental health and how crucial it is for everyone, including our educators. I wonder if you would both talk a little bit about about strategies to help our educators and our students. Um, Yvette?
2: Yeah, one of the things that that I see us doing is uh, providing educators with Um, information about how to take care of themselves, how to prioritize themselves. So we're doing um, here in in Nash uh, County Public Schools, we're doing a lot of work around building resiliency, not just for our students, but also emphasizing to staff, it's important that you build your resilience. So providing them with wellness tools, um, providing them with spaces during uh, after the work day where they can come together and talk about things that are hard for them. Um, and then again, teaching them how to reset their nervous system so that they can get into that that place, their resilient zone where they can, uh, you know, do what they need to do, not just in the school, but also outside of the school. So I think it's, it's just talking about it is creating those spaces for staff to if I need a minute, I need a minute (laughs) because it's hard today (laughs) Um, and having people in place that they can go to and and provide resources for.
1: In the spring, obviously, when we saw just everything unfolding, um, there was uh, more deliberate uh, communication about employee assistance programs, um, more deliberate communication um, about why it's important for us to take care of ourselves Acknowledging that parents are very um, stressed right now and worried about their kids, and and obviously teachers and educators, um, we're worried about kids too, and we carry that with us no matter no matter what our situation is. We we think about these kids. I often say, you know, sometimes we wake up thinking about you know kids that we know um, are in families that are struggling. So um, a big emphasis on self care and a deliberate um, push to ask people even in meetings a lot of the meetings I've been in start with tell me how you are taking care of yourself and just people sharing um, small ways that they're doing it but I know that other schools like one of my colleagues I think she is actually doing a yoga hour um, one or two times a week for educators at her school it's like you can join and this is a way of self-practice but also taking a walk with you know, your school social worker outside for 10 minutes is, is a form of self-care. So just a more um, embracing that it is a real thing and it is, um, it's an absolute need now for educators.
0: Well, thank you. And as we wind down right now, um, I did just quickly want to address, Lee, that we know there is a shortage of school psychologists and other school personnel and support personnel and resources too. And I wonder if you could share any recommendations you might have, or just how do we address this need?
1: We find ourselves in North Carolina uh, in a dire shortage of school psychologists. We currently have um, 700, about 772 school psychologists serving 1.5 million school children. And that's the piece of data that, that I live and breathe and, and wake up thinking about, because um, it is... Um, it impacts um, at so many levels. Um, the resources that we're, uh, that we're currently, uh, that we have in place is we have, uh, we have our um, names as eligible professionals on the forgivable educational loan service. We are working on um, ways to uh, recertify people, across, re-specialize and recertify people across the state um, and bringing about an awareness. But we've also had several, um, um bills that have gone through to address the recruitment and retention of school psychologists um and which we're which we hope to increase in the um, near future and ongoing
0: well thank you both so much you both shared just how important it is that we have people like you and obviously you specifically in our schools working with our educators, our families, and especially our students every single day. And thank you so much for all you do. And after the break, we will be joined by a high school counselor and a student services director.
3: Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives.
0: We are so happy to be joined by Hallie Moore, a high school counselor in Transylvania County and Antonio Blow, the student services director in Greene County. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. you. Hallie, can you talk a little bit about the role of a school counselor and what strategies have changed from last year to this year?
4: So our role as school counselors are greatly important um, in a school system. We are certainly trying to address the whole student um, emotional, well-being, their academics and their plans for the future. So on a daily basis, any given year, that is our focus. And so, um, you know, in our district, we have wonderful counselors and, um, you know, with this change with the pandemic and things that we are adjusting to, it has been a large learning curve, but I think we've been handling it really well. Um, there's a lot of things that we have really amped up as far as our technology resources and our, our digital um, communications and things that we are doing to stay in touch with students, whether they are in school, um, virtual or in school and um, working remotely. So we have, you know, like I said, really tried to maintain communication with students, with parents, um, along with our staff, and really still address those same key components. Um, and of course mental health is a little bit um, more on the rise and of concern, but I think we're doing really well.
0: Thank you so much, Hallie. And we couldn't agree more on how important that is. And um, Antonio, you support all students across Green County. And I wonder if you can give us an overview of what is needed, especially now when it comes to our non-classroom educators and how they help students.
3: Uh, Well, I think there's two things out of the gate that is needed. One is uh, we need patience. And uh, secondly, we need understanding. Uh, These are unprecedented times and every day um, we see situations are changing for students, situations are changing for staff and and for families. And so I always remind our staff that we only know part of the story when that student come uh, into the school district. So we need to um, we need to have understanding, but more importantly for districts like Green County, uh, we need access to internet services for all of our students, and, um, and, and the other thing I think that we need uh, would certainly be um, access to mental health services. So um, I think that that is vitally important um, in terms of where we're headed and what we're trying to do uh, to make sure that we serve the students and families and staff.
0: Both of you reference mental health and how crucial that is for everyone, including our educators. I wonder if you both could share some strategies to help our educators and also help them as they're helping our students. And Antonio, I'd love to start with you. Yes,
3: ma'am. Um, I think one thing that is vitally important is that every educator, every staff member need to have a self-care plan. I think that is, that is critical in the times that we're in. Uh, I also think that we must set boundaries, because there's a lot going on and trying to understand it all and take it all in. We must set boundaries because, you know, staff members shouldn't go home and have to feel obligated to answer emails at 10 o'clock at night, but you have to set boundaries. And and I think that that is critically important. Uh, We have to create a support system uh, and that support system, we should create a support system for in school when we, when we are at school, and then we need to create a support system when we're at home with families and friends and be intentional about that. Um, and then we also need to have moments of what I call uh, reflection. We gotta reflect back on every single thing that, um, that we're doing and how do we improve it to make sure that we are doing um, uh, things that will help us to take care of ourselves. I think Steve Covey says sometimes back first things first, and you got to take care of you or yourself before you can take care of someone else. And so I think that's important. But uh, we're also doing a a pilot with one of our smallest sites. Uh, we actually have engaged a mental health service provider who will be working with uh, staff members and uh, talking about self-care and and doing some uh, relaxation techniques and things like that. Uh, and then from that, if there are additional uh, conversations need to be had, that this particular uh, provider would be able to meet with uh, staff members of one-on-one, because I think that's critical uh, given these unprecedented times.
0: Thank you so much. Those are such important reminders for all of us um, and so grateful for the work you're doing. Um, Hallie, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about mental health and the strategies you're using, both for other educators? Because I know people come to you in all kinds of capacities, but also for students.
4: Sure, so in regards to staff, I would definitely um, repeat and reflect on what um, Antonio shared because those are such great points. And I would say, you know, in addition to that, for our specific school and in our county, we also have um, mental health resources and, and ways staff can reach out um, when needed and makes that accessible for them. Um, because it is very important that they are taking care of themselves so they can take care of their students. Um, We also at our school have a care committee, so we have a group of teachers that take it upon themselves to really make that a priority to keep staff morale high and to make the most of this situation for everyone. Teachers are under great pressures, um, a lot of different things that they're having to juggle more so than ever. And so trying to keep our morale and do some so positive things, positive referrals for each other, um, that's been a highlight for making the most of this time. Um, For students, we also, you know, that's more of our um, priority too, is to help keep our eyes and ears open for those concerns when they're not here 24-7 with us um, during a regular school day or five days a week, that does make it a little bit more challenging. So we work so closely among all of our staff and our teachers to keep our radar out there, um, but also help with um, contacting families and those that have concerns. Um, We work together so closely to maintain
0: that that radar for them. I wonder if you both could share just a little bit of advice on what strategies can families implement to support their students, whether they're remote, whether they're hybrid um, or face-to-face? What, what can they do? And Hallie, I'll have you go first.
4: Sure. So we saw this early on, um, especially after last spring and kind of getting thrown into this. Um, this semester, we've really tried to be a little bit more proactive as far as how can we help families at home? You know, they've got so much on their plate already, and, and adding school and, and their student at home is another layer to that. So um, Myself and my co-counselor, we have created a parent guide um, to really try to put together a lot of resources for parents to reflect on and to access if needed, just for helpful reminders or some tips, that best practices. Um, it may be technology resources. It may be just helping have those conversations at home. You know, we don't expect them to be the teacher, of course, um, but just to stay engaged and help remain positive so their student can remain positive as well.
3: In the same light, uh, pretty much uh, create a... Um A daily schedule. I think sometimes being at home we can allow kids to kind of do their own thing, but create a daily schedule. Uh, Stay connected with, um, parents can stay connected with their child's teacher. Uh, Parents need to be able to ask questions. Um, Ask questions of administrators, central office folks, um, but also ask questions of their child, their students. Show me your work. You know, uh, ask questions. Uh, Create a parent network. (laughs) Um, this is um, a challenging moment for all of us and, 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 and frustrating many times, but creating that network so, you one, you find out, hey, you are not the only one that is uh, frustrated and, and, and don't know how to navigate some of the systems, but I also would encourage parents to do positive reinforcements, you know, when a child completes something you know, celebrate them, make a big deal of it. I mean, whether it's a special breakfast, a uh, special lunch, or you, you know, just celebrate them. Um, I think that that is critically important. And then I know in Greene County, we have Power School, which is a parent portal. So parents can sign up to stay connected. They can, uh, I guess, in real time, uh, look at their child's grades and things like that. And also in Canvas, which is the um, uh, the way that our kids are being um educated and and using that platform, but parents can be uh, an observer or viewer and um, they can stay connected there. And I think the more knowledge we have, uh, the better we can kind of move forward.
0: We're so grateful to both of you and how fortunate we are here to have you in our schools and working with our students every single day. So thank you so much. Long before COVID-19, educators, administrators, and school systems across our state had a deep understanding that successfully educating our students must include addressing the academic, social, and emotional learning needs of our students. Addressing the needs of the whole child is not only the right thing to do, it is critical to ensuring that each child reaches their academic potential. And today, additional needs are emerging related to students' fears and realities stemming from the pandemic, as well as the obstacles so many face due to systemic racism and profound inequities that shape our communities and world. When I was a teacher 20 years ago, I understood that my role went beyond academics. But at that time, educators didn't quite have the language, data, or information we need to implement the elements of strong social and emotional learning. Today, however, we know so much more about the foundation that this plays for learning and the neuroscience behind it. We know that when a student's stress response system is activated, their prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain needed for higher thinking and learning, is offline and not in a state ready to take in new information and process it. Research shows that students who experience three or more adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs, score lower than their peers on standardized tests, are two and a half times more likely to fail a grade, are 32 times more likely to be labeled as learning disabled, and are more likely to be suspended and expelled. This group of high-need students, which includes significant numbers of low-income and students of color, suffers disproportionately under traditional approaches to school discipline. Addressing ACEs through trauma-informed practices can help to mitigate some of the risk for our students. Supporting educators and student support teams to learn about ACEs and trauma-informed instruction through resiliency and social and emotional learning work are important for supporting our students. Research by CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social and Emotional Learning, and other scholars published in the journal Child Development, shows a strong and substantial benefit to implementing effective social and emotional learning programs. For example, students engaged in SEL programs performed an average of 13 points higher on academic measurements than their peers who were not exposed to SEL programs, a finding that persisted years later. It is clear that the investment can have a big impact on individual students, as well as on our workforce and communities. Our teachers are very involved in supporting the whole child, but they cannot do this without the support of the psychologists, counselors, social workers, and nurses. These are the people who help students and their families propel toward success, providing physical and mental health support while working with students to understand their learning needs and differences. These instructional support staff make the important connection between school and home, especially within the context of remote learning. Social workers are critical to pinpointing which students struggle with food insecurity or are in need of other outside of the classroom supports. School counselors are the ones who connect with students who are struggling in their classes, have challenging situations at home, or may need additional mental health supports. While many of our schools have school support personnel, in the majority of cases in North Carolina, we do not have the number of qualified psychologists, counselors, social workers, or nurses that is recommended. In recent months, we have made efforts to invest more in these critical support personnel through the federal COVID-19 Relief Cares Act. Governor Cooper directed $40 million to the State Board of Education and the Department of Public Instruction so that districts can hire more school nurses, counselors, social workers, and psychologists in our public schools. This is important progress, but we know we need to do more. The June 2020 action plan that defendants and plaintiffs in the Leandro school funding case have agreed to calls for an additional $40 million in flexible funding for student instructional support personnel to meet the academic, physical, and mental health needs of students. As we move forward, it is critical to understand that addressing the whole child, including social and emotional learning and adverse childhood experiences, is not optional or a nice-to-have, but instead an important foundation for successfully educating our students. As we strive to have the education system that ensures that all of our students graduate ready for college, career, and citizenship, and on their way to post-secondary pathways, we must acknowledge and act in accordance with the science and research that demonstrates the need for these integral supports for our students. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today and we'll see you next week.